Well, thanks for joining me today on the Pondering Scripture podcast. I hope your day is going well, and I hope that this study will be a benefit to you. My name is Jeremiah Cox, the host for the Pondering Scripture podcast. In writing to the young evangelist Timothy, the Apostle Paul spoke of those last days of prophecy, the days that begin on the day of Pentecost, the days that we find ourselves in today, last days not suggesting the times where the end of time is imminent right around the corner where Jesus is right about to come, but the last days being the last dispensation from the day of Pentecost all the way through to the end of time. He said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. That's a description of the times we live in right now. Not because, again, judgment is right around the corner. It may be. It may not be. But because this is the last dispensation. And listen to the description of the men of these perilous times. Truly, perilous times we live in. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. I want to notice a few of those descriptions of these men of the last days and perilous times. All of them have something in common, but especially notice these. He said, men will be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud, without self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All of those, I think, have this in common, egocentrism. All of these descriptions vividly describe our society today. Society is self-pleasing, certainly lacking in self-control. They're obsessed with pleasure. They're conceited. They're boasters. They're self-absorbed. And these traits manifest in different ways, but One of the ways that they're manifested is in the kind of advice that people give each other. I'm sure that you've been given advice, perhaps from a friend, a coworker, someone of your peers, someone of your loved ones who you look up to, that probably could be fit into one of those categories, where if you followed that advice... You would be a lover of yourself, perhaps boastful or proud, perhaps not being self-controlled, perhaps loving pleasure rather than devoting love to God. I want to tell you that the world is going to encourage you to do things and to be certain ways that are entirely opposed to what Jesus would have for you to be. What the world tells you is not what Jesus tells you. 
In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And in verse 2, he said, that will be accomplished by the means of not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be transformed. Our mind needs to be completely renewed. The word in the Greek meaning renovated. We need a renovation of mind. And we're not going to get that from listening to the worldly advice that many try to give us. Especially if you're younger, if you're a teenager or you're just a younger person, we're, we're going to struggle with the advice that we would receive from our peers. And probably even more so, something that covers all parts of the spectrum in regard to age is social media. There are too many quote, influencers, unquote, those who are supposed to be or claim themselves to be uh, people to look up to, mentors, who are giving advice that is just terrible, that is characteristic of what Paul described men would be in the latter days. So we need to understand that what the world tells us is not what we should follow, but we should follow what Jesus tells us. Now, let me offer you four points of contrast between what the world will tell you and what Jesus will tell you. Never follow what the world will tell you. Always follow what Jesus will tell you. I want to tell you that, firstly, one of the things the world will tell us, the advice they'll give us is that you just need to discover yourself. You know, I think that this falls into the category of purpose and priority. Your purpose in life, the reason why you exist, and your priority that follows it is to become more acquainted with who you are. And when you become acquainted with who you are, prioritize that above all else. You need to discover yourself. You know, I think that's a trap a lot of our youth fall into when they're thinking about what they're going to be when they graduate. What degree are they going to get? What job are they going to devote their life to? And a lot of people are giving them the advice to discover their self. You need to just give some time to yourself and discover who you are, what you want to be, what your likes and dislikes are. And I'm not knocking any of that. We need to to make sure that we we make good choices and that we're going down a path that that we're going to be able to be consistent in and give our all to and and be devoted to but when it comes down to priority of existence we're not to discover ourselves we're not to give time to who we are just in relation to ourselves and then the world around us In Acts the 17th chapter in verse 18, the Apostle Paul, coming to Mars Hill, came upon some men who are described in verse 18, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And they encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Well, I want us to consider specifically who are the Epicurean philosophers? They're followers of the philosopher Epicurus. The basic tenets of Epicurus are as follows. Number one, 
Pleasure is the highest end of living. Number two, matter is eternal. It's not created by some deity. Number three, the soul is not immortal. Number four, there is no future retribution for deeds after death. And number five, the gods exercise no providential control over human affairs. I want to tell you that many in our society hold to some of these Epicurean tenets, especially that pleasure is the highest end of living, and practically that the soul is not immortal. If they really thought the soul was immortal, then they would be living differently. So practically, at least, they hold to that idea that the soul is not immortal. And then practically, most hold to the idea that there is no future retribution for deeds after death. Even those who claim to be followers of Jesus a lot of times practically hold to the Epicurean tenet that there is no future retribution for deeds after death because they don't live with God in their mind. All they're doing is trying to discover self. I want to tell you that if our purpose and priority is pleasure for self, discovering self without fear of consequence, then our focus will be on what suits us the best in this world, no matter who it affects and in what way it affects them, or how it affects us, really. There are consequences to our decisions, and we may think that they will be good. But if we're simply seeking pleasure, most likely the consequence will be negative. In Philippians 3, Paul talked about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and they walk as enemies. And their end is destruction, but he describes them as their God being their belly, and who glory in their shame, they set their mind on earthly things. Their God is their belly. They are those who think pleasure is the highest end of living. Now, they may not say that's what they believe, but practically that's what they were because they were serving their appetite, their belly. When someone gives you the advice to discover yourself, that's essentially what they're saying. What is your appetite? What is your desire? What do you like the most? Discover that and pursue it relentlessly. That's an earthly mindset. It may be something... That has to do with entertainment, or, or popularity, or work, or sex, or sports. What do you want to be? What, what do you want to focus in your life? What is your greatest desire? What pleases you the most? What makes Jeremiah feel good? And, and if I'm discovering myself and I figure what that is, then, then I follow that relentlessly. That is my purpose and my priority. Do the things that you wish, even though Galatians 5 and verse 17 says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But that's what society will tell you. That's what the world will tell you. Discover yourself. Find out who you are. That'll be your purpose, and that's your priority. But in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, it tells us the whole conclusion, the whole matter of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. This is man's all. That's what we're supposed to do. There are consequences to our actions. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so where the world tells you discover yourself, Jesus is trying to tell us discover me because all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God. But the purpose of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, to bring glory to God by doing what he's created us to do, following his will, his law, his commandments. 
And Jesus is the mediator that bridges the gap that was brought on by sin. He can reconcile us to God. You cannot find purpose and fulfillment in life by discovering yourself. You find purpose and fulfillment in life and discovering Jesus. And might I suggest to you that when we discover Jesus, we will discover ourselves because Jesus tells us what we were supposed to be, what we were created for. And as we've fallen from that, he can put us back on the divinely appointed path. We need to make sure we're not listening to what the world tells us. They don't know. We need to listen to what Jesus tells us. We need to discover Jesus. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that that's what they're trying to do. They're looking for Jesus. They're trying to discover Jesus. I'm not trying to discover myself. I'm trying to discover Jesus. But if their investigations and searches for Jesus are not digging into God's Word, then they're not looking for Jesus. They're most likely still looking for themselves, but they are veiling that in this facade of spirituality. That's just another form of idolatry. Consider Jesus in his dealings with the unbelieving Jews in John chapter 8. In John 8 and verse 21, Jesus says this, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And Jesus said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I think one of the main things that Jesus is saying is that you're seeking the Messiah. You're Jews, you're Jewish leaders, you're looking for the Messiah, the hope of Israel. But... You rejected the Messiah. I am the Messiah. You've rejected me. And so I am going to go away, and you're still going to be looking for the Messiah, but you're going to die in your sins as the Messiah is meant to deliver you from your sins, but you're going to die in your sins because you rejected the true Messiah because he didn't fit your mold of who the Messiah should be. He explained in verse 23, you're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. They thought the Messiah should be a political and physical leader of a physical nation, when in reality, Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. And so they were seeking the Messiah, or so they thought, but in reality, they were still trying to seek themselves and their will because they rejected what God's view of the Messiah was and simply held on to what they always wanted. Instead of seeking to discover yourself, we should try to discover Jesus. Understanding the substances in Christ, we're complete in Him, not in ourselves. Colossians 2 and in verses 8 through 10. And we need to be objective about our search for Jesus and truly look to find Him. The world will tell you, discover yourself. Jesus says, discover me. Along those lines, the world will tell you to believe in yourself. And so where discovering yourself is a discussion of purpose and priority, believing in yourself is trusting what you've discovered. You know you best. You know that you shouldn't worry about what anyone else thinks or says. You need to just trust in yourself. You know you best. Believe in yourself. 
you know, the first thought that we know ourselves seems logical, but it's a ploy of our adversary. In Proverbs 28 and verse 26, wisdom explains, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, more graphically, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And as Jeremiah explained in Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Let me ask you a question. The world tells you to believe in yourself, trust in yourself. You've discovered yourself, trust that. Don't listen to what anyone else tells you. Don't don't take their advice if it's contrary to what you believe you've discovered in yourself. Trust in yourself. You know you best. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that there is someone that knows us, that knows me, that knows Jeremiah better than I know myself? Is there someone that knows what is best for me more than I would? Well, I think that's true. You just take take a step back for a moment and think about a parent and, and a child. The parent knows the child better than the child knows themselves. The parent knows what's best for the child better than the child would know what's best for them. That's why they're called guardians. That's why they are the ones the child depends on. Their dependence, the child is. And so there is someone who knows us better than ourselves. The world says, discover you and then trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. Jesus says, discover me and believe in me. Trust in me. I know what's best. I know the way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except in me, except through me. You know, in John the sixth chapter, after people sought Jesus because of selfish reasons to be filled with bread and fish, and then after Jesus gave some attention to some harsh language and some spiritual principles that trumped the physical desires of these people, when they found out that Jesus isn't offering what they wanted, they left. Verse 66 of John 6, from that time many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. They they weren't willing to trust that what Jesus had was worth it, was more important than what they were ultimately seeking. And so Jesus, after they left, turned to the twelve and said, Do you also want to go away? And this is what Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to tell you that Jesus knows better than we do. We need to believe in him, not in ourselves. He has the words of eternal life. We need to have faith in him, not in ourselves. It's foolish to trust in yourself. It's wise to trust in Jesus. Remember in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler asking, what good thing must I do to inherit or have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, which ones? And then he said, all things I've kept from my youth. So Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I want to tell you that he was trusting in himself. He was believing in himself and not in Jesus. He believed that it wasn't worth it giving up all of these things that he was better off holding on to all of these things, that what would bring him greatest fulfillment would be these riches. When in reality, Jesus knew that this is the greatest, the single greatest thing 
that will hang you up for eternity. You will miss out on eternal bliss because of your riches. In Mark 10 and verse 21, it demonstrates that when it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell all that you have and give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best for us better than we could ever discover ourselves. And so we need to not trust in ourselves. We need to believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Thirdly, the world will tell you, follow your heart. And so where you have purpose and priority in discovering yourself, and then you have trust and believing in yourself, and following your heart is the devotion that is bred by that discovery and trust. You're the priority, so you should be devoted to following your heart wherever it takes you. No matter what the consequences are, you need to trust in what you're feeling. Such misplaced trust leads to a destructive devotion to your own ways. You know, some people have believed the lie that they know best, and so when they have that gut feeling, they follow it without hesitation, refusing to believe they could be wrong. They don't want to hear it. They know themselves. They trust themselves. They're going to follow their heart. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In James 1 and verse 14, it describes temptation. When one is tempted, he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Some are so devoted to their desires, their heart, their emotions, their feelings, they believe it's right no matter what. They're willing to go down that path because it's fulfilling them doesn't matter what wake of destruction they leave in their path because they're following their heart. In 1 Corinthians the 8th chapter, it describes a people who were puffed up by knowledge. They believed the truth that an idol is nothing into the, in the world, and, and these things offered up to idols are, are inconsequential. You can eat meat that was offered to idols. But that knowledge puffed them up. They, they were unwilling as they pursued their own heart, they followed their own heart to consider that of their brethren. It explains that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 8, he says, he says that you have not considered ultimately your brother. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother for whom Christ died perish? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That's when liberties lead to death. Take heed lest you fall is what the warning is found that is found in 1 Corinthians 10 and in verse 12. Don't follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. Be devoted to me. You've discovered me. You trust me, so follow me. That's the way to eternal bliss. That's the way to eternal fulfillment. The world is trying to offer us fulfillment. The world is trying to tell us this is where you'll be happiest. Don't listen to them. Jesus has those answers. Follow him. Since we know Jesus knows best, we should be devoted to following him. 
wherever he goes. Without question, the rich man questioned Jesus's command to sell all you have and give to the poor. How could that possibly amount to any good? Well, he didn't trust in Jesus, so he didn't follow Jesus. We trust in Jesus, so we should follow him. In Luke 9 and verse 57, it happened as they went journeying on the road, someone came to Jesus saying, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a noble thought. We should be willing to do that. But Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my father's house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We should have that attitude. I will follow you wherever you go. But that has to be preceded with an actual trust and prioritization of Jesus. Our thought should be not to follow our heart, no matter the consequences, but follow Jesus, no matter the consequences, to the exclusion of any other advice that would contradict following Jesus. Lastly, where we are told to discover ourselves, to trust in ourselves, and follow our heart, the world will also say, be true to yourself. And so you have the purpose and priority of discovery, the trust of that discovery, the devotion to that discovery that follows the trust, and then the persistence in that devotion, a fidelity. So they'll say you should never challenge where your heart is taking you. I'm going to trust my gut. I'm going to trust my heart. I'm not even going to challenge it. I'm going to be true to myself. You should never do something that is not you, quote unquote. Be true to yourself. That's what the world tells us. One who believes self is the greatest purpose and priority, trusts in himself, and follows his every impulse due to that trust will grow to refuse any advice that would suggest he change in any way. I'm going to be true to myself. You know, we live in the postmodern era of relative truth, so you hear the term my truth all the time. They believe in a subjective truth, so they believe in my truth as opposed to your truth. And so your truth and my truth can be mutually exclusive, contradictory concepts. But I'm going to stick to my truth because it's my truth. And so they ignore objective facts if those objective facts stand in contradiction to their truth, quote unquote. Proverbs tells us that's a foolish way of thinking. Proverbs 12 and verse 1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Is it possible that my truth is actually false? In verse 15 of Proverbs 12, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. In Proverbs 10 and verse 8, Wisdom tells us he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. Or That's Proverbs 8 and verse 8. Proverbs 10 and verse 8 says, the wise in his heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. You know, rebellious Israel was unwilling to change to what they knew was right, according to the divine record. In Jeremiah 6, in verse 16, this is made evident. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. 
Also, I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. How foolish is that? That's exactly what people do when they say, I'm going to be true to myself no matter what someone tells me. I believe it in my heart that I'm right with God. I believe it in my heart that this is the greatest fulfillment of life. I believe in my heart that this is right. What I'm doing is right. And you can't convince me otherwise. What a sad state of mind. Jesus says, rather be true to me. We are not infallible. We as subjective thinkers can be wrong. Jesus, though, is the truth, John 14, 6. He doesn't say, be true to yourself. He says, always be willing in a heart of penitence to change. And change we must. Do not be conformed, be transformed, Romans 12 and verse 2. Where the world says, be true to yourself, Jesus says, deny yourself in Mark chapter 8 and in verse 34. Come, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is what the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I was crucified with Christ. The gospel demands a change, not blind adherence to your own fallible values and principles. Jesus demands fidelity to him. That's where fulfillment of life is. We need to be willing to crucify our desires and follow Christ. You know, there are other things that the world will try to tell us. They'll try to give us advice. They'll try to offer us happiness and fulfillment. And a lot of those things will probably sound good. And they might even be good and feel good for a moment. Realize those are wells without water. Those are clouds carried about by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Stealing from Peter's words concerning false teachers and what they offer. The world offers you false pleasure, false fulfillment, false hope. It's all a fraud. We need to listen to what Jesus tells us, and we need to value His wisdom. I hope that this study was beneficial to you. I hope that you can find a way to apply it to your life, and I hope that you are encouraged by it. Again, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to send me an email at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. Until then, until the next episode, we'll be seeing you.